Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. As you know, this is Tony Heil, Councilman in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast, I've talked to people from across the country at all levels of office, from uh, borough council like myself and school board, all the way up to U.S. Senate. But every seat, every election, every office is very important. And one thing I've brought up in podcasts is the diversity of professions in politics. There are a lot of lawyers in office, which is fine. There are a lot of realtors. There are a lot of retired people in office. All those are good people. But there are certain perspectives that we definitely need in office, particularly at the state level where decisions are more important most of the time than in Congress. One of those professions is educator. And I'm really excited to talk to someone who's going to be my new friend. She's a senator from Arizona, state senator. And uh, she is a teacher, former teacher of the year, but, you know, maybe she could be a teacher of the year every year. Her name is Christine Marsh, and uh, welcome, Christine, to the podcast today. Oh, thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. So I have talked to a few people who either are teachers and um, are in office, I mean, who are, are teachers and are running for office, um, or um, were teachers and are in office now. Um, has politics always been important to you? Because for a lot of them, kind of the attacks on education kind of ended up driving them. Yeah, I have always been at least minimally interested in politics. Uh, when I was in college, there was a brief time when I thought I would major in poli-sci. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I majored in English literature instead. Uh, but I really, uh, when my kids were little, I was very, uh, you know, consumed with, as most parents are, consumed with parenting. So it wasn't until they got older, it was about 2013 or so, where I really started to get into politics on a on a more serious level than I really ever had before. And for 2013, I don't know what was going on in Arizona at the time, but... I talked to someone in Oklahoma and Missouri, um, a lot of states where there have been cuts to education or poor teacher issues, and that really drove a lot of organizing, not just them. Was was that kind of the motivation for you, or were there other things happening that kind of said, you know, I'm not just going to run outside, I'm going to run for office? Yeah, it was, uh, that certainly played a part of it, but uh, really it was more local things happening uh, mm-hmm. in my school district and with my school board. So I, you know, started going to pretty much every school board meeting. I was often the only person in the audience, I mean, besides all the staff members. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought it was important for them to know that somebody was paying attention and somebody was watching, uh, and it kind of went from there. I realized at that point uh, how big the issues were beyond my school district, uh, started inviting politicians from both sides of the aisle, candidates and politicians, into my classroom. I, at that time, taught uh, AP English language, which sounds like it would be all devoted to English, but it's really not. Um, Some of the essays that those kids have to write come back to contemporary American values. And I thought, what better way than to just have as many politicians come visit as possible? So, you know, we had to follow some specific laws Mm -hmm. about that. Uh, And I'm a Democrat, but ended up having more Republicans than Democrats in uh, my classroom, I think, because I was probably, you know, I was trying to make sure 
that I was, you know, nonpartisan or bipartisan, I should say. Uh, and that uh, led to, at least indirectly, led to me becoming the uh, Arizona 2016 Teacher of the Year. Point, uh, you know, I traveled the entire state giving speeches um, to teachers and education groups and community civic groups, and um, really, really honed in on the fact that as bad as things were in terms of funding in my own classroom, uh, it was even worse in a lot of cases uh, across the state. Uh, and you know, kind of went from there. I didn't plan on running ever. Uh, in fact, the first time somebody approached me, I said, no, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. I'm a full-time teacher. Like, no. Uh, but ultimately decided to run when, after about six weeks of that, of, you know, people asking, because it kind of got into my mind that I should run. Uh, after about six weeks of that, I realized that I, I needed to do this, that it wasn't enough anymore to make sure that the kids in my own classroom within my own four walls were taken care of. Um, if I had the opportunity to do something on a broader level for kids across Arizona, then I really needed to do it. So, you know, my, my aunt is a teacher in Western Pennsylvania. She also teaches English, and she also is now in public office. She's a local thing. And so I'm really proud of her for all those things. But she's talked about some of the things she's written and done about world affairs in English classes. Like people have to write an essay about what they – I don't know all the stuff she does. And one thing she said is uh, in her 20 or 30 years of teaching, like even the kids' writing has become so polarized and nationalized – um, in terms of what they're writing about. Do you find that to be the case? And even at the youngest level, like everyone's just kind of focused on whatever social media news they're getting or or cable news. Like it, it, you, you be, before you even get to the classroom, before you get, even get to the discussion, you're already been trained based on whatever you're watching. Yeah, I have noticed a little bit of that. I mean, I, I'm still a teacher. I teach in the morning uh, and then head down to the Capitol. Uh, right now, I teach 6th, 7th, and 8th grade in a public school. Uh, so as you might imagine, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, not so much. Mm -hmm. I would think that if I – I have no doubt, actually, that if I was still teaching juniors and seniors in high school, that, that, um, that I would see that more. I see that on a minimal level with the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, but truly not any kind of a big deal, no issue. But I know it's there. And you know how to teach, but no one knows how to run for office until they do it. And you decided to be to become a candidate. What were some of the things you had to learn, or was anything surprising to you, even though you'd met so many people, um, from your first-person perspective? I think I had already, by the time I ran, had already worked on a number of campaigns mm -hmm. and done a whole lot of canvassing. So I think um, I, I don't think I really was caught off guard too much. But remember, I had that six weeks where I was basically saying no, <laughs> and you know, really exploring it and really talking to people. Um, and, you know, I talked to one woman who's never run for office, but she's been on so many different campaigns, uh, you know, and she told me that this is 
so hard. Like that running for office is so hard and you need to be prepared for that. You need to realize that everything you say anywhere, you know, even at the store uh, is potentially going to be used against you. And obviously these aren't her exact words. This Mm -hmm. was, you know, back in 2017. Uh, But it's pretty close to what she said. So I really absorbed that. Otherwise I do think that just how time consuming and how difficult this is, maybe would have been a shock to me, but I really took, I really respect this woman and um, really internalized what she was saying about how challenging this is. Uh, I I guess one surprise, but it ties right into that was just how much uh, a candidate, especially in a competitive district, which I'm in, there are Mm -hmm. not very many competitive legislative districts in Arizona and I'm one of them. Uh, I didn't realize, I don't think, the full extent of everything that I would have to sacrifice, Mm. right? You know, friends and family and groups that, civic groups that I had belonged to. And, uh, you know, the only thing I refused to give up was running outside that you mentioned earlier, like running every morning. Uh, And I've learned to work friends and family in. So friends and family members will drive me canvassing, um, which is great because they realize that, okay, if I want to spend time with Christine, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to need to do. Uh, and thankfully all of them have been really willing. So I don't think I've lost any friends in this process. And I think I've stayed pretty connected with all my family members, but, uh, it certainly became a different way of, of spending time with people. That divisiveness you kind of touched on that what your friend said about like what what whatever you say can come back to haunt you even if it wasn't uh badly i know i've said a lot of things that could come back to haunt me even when i'm on council like um but do you think that divisiveness that meanness that seems to be growing in politics has kept good people from running for legislature congress or school board and, and in places is that keeping good people out i uh, yeah i absolutely think so mm-hmm I think that that prospect of having a mailer sent out about you often based on lies or certainly half truths, uh, dissuades a whole lot of people who maybe would at least consider it. Maybe they wouldn't run in any event, but I think it, I think it dissuades people from even considering it. Mm -hmm. And And that's unfortunate. And you've been around, like you said, you, you ran for office just a few years ago, but you have, been involved in other campaigns, like you said, it feels like the tenor of things has gotten worse. It, it's so miserable a lot of the time, just following almost anybody, not just people on the right or whatever. Um, do you think it's getting worse or is it just the perception of people who are paying too much attention? I think in the general population, I don't think it's getting much worse. Mm-hmm. Like some of my favorite conversations in the 2020 cycle were with Trump supporters Mm -hmm. and to see if I could get them to separate national from local and, you know, really focus on local and that I could help them and could be their voice. Uh, So, yes, it's there. I don't think it's much in the general population. I think um, down at the legislature, it's a little bit more extreme probably because the way our primary process works, uh, we end up with, um, not just 
you know, we end up with a radical right. Mm -hmm. Um, but even then I try, you know, the teacher in me is pretty good at, uh, forming relationships, even with people that I wouldn't necessarily, uh, spend time with in my real life. Uh, so I, you know, I've tried to stay above the fray as much as possible. Um, tried to continue approaching everybody on a very human level, which is what I do in the classroom, right? Like, got to make sure that every student has a voice, even the student who was maybe, you know, throwing spitballs yesterday during eighth period, like whatever. I got to build those bridges. So, um, so yeah, I think it's there. I don't think um, it's maybe as quite as bad as the perception is um, mm -hmm. in the general population in any event. You know, I've been talking to like my state senator, I talked to him on a podcast recently, and, um, you know, I've been involved in advocacy things aside from my local office. And there have always been a time where I don't I don't agree with the other party. I would and find some people really atrocious in their views. And you have that in every state, every level of office. And but even sometimes those atrocious views, um, I can kind of get past but some of the stuff in the last two years, whether it's the anti-vax stuff or the overturning election stuff, has become beyond the pale to me. Have, have there been things for you, now that you've been there working with these people, because they're not just politicians, they're your coworkers, has that has it been hard to, or, to do that, to work with people? Or has your teacher experience kind of give you a leg up that maybe other people might not have? I think both. Yeah. Yes, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And yes, I think that my, I mean, this is my 31st year of teaching. Uh, I think that my experiences in the classroom have, as you say, given me a leg up. So it's both. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing I did reach out to you, one, because you have the same name as my friend's mom, which <laughs> helps. So that's a good thing for you too. But as a runner, um, one thing that's really kind of stuck out to me is the um, the mental exhaustion and, and emotional exhaustion of politics, but that I know people who run who use that as kind of a catharsis. Um, does that help you with dealing with all these major issues? Because your vote could lead to people having more health care or less health care type of thing. So does running and that kind of activity help you mentally um, as a legislator? Yeah, 100%. Which is, and it always has, it's always helped me with everything. I mean, mm -hmm. I've been running pretty much every day since I was 12 or 13. Um, so, and yes, I definitely process things on my runs, um, you know, issues going on. Uh, and then, uh, you know, on top of processing things, uh, it's just a really great way to undo the stress that comes, the stress and anxiety that comes with this job. Do you think that's important for someone else who is not only going to become a candidate, but either they're in office or they're just very active in politics, that they need to find something, whether it's running, reading, art, that's something that is different because I see so many people, their lives are just whatever is on Twitter that day, just grinding it out in their heads, just miserableness sometimes about social media. How important it is to find that outlet basically for everyone, not just for you. I think it's, I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. And it's going to look different for everyone or for most people. Uh, but whatever that is, uh, 
candidates, people working closely in this environment, in this space, I think absolutely have to have an outlet, someplace to mentally work out issues and relieve anxiety and stress and so on. So yeah, and I would imagine that people who are really into meditation, that that would work. I mean, that wouldn't work for me, but mm -hmm. it, I'm sure works for a lot of people and running works for me. And I'm sure that wouldn't work for a lot of people, but whatever that looks like, I do firmly believe that people need to find something where they can lighten the load, basically lighten the load of what's going on in their brains. Now you had, like you said, you'd worked on campaigns, you'd met people um, who had talked to you about being in politics, or you had had them in your, in your classroom. Um, but the last few years have been nothing short of just crazy and unpredictable, whether it is the pandemic and everything related around the, the disease and the vaccines, the election and all the stuff going on there, all the crazy stuff with the election counting in your state in particular. Um, was there anything that you could have done to mentally prepare for all of the stu stuff that happened in Arizona? Is there nothing is what you expected, right? Right. <clears throat> I, I don't, I don't know how a person prepares for any of those issues for a global pandemic, mm -hmm. for example, like I, and the effect that that's going to have on students and on schools and, uh, and people in general. But, uh, I don't, I don't think there is a way other than maybe coming back to what we were just talking about, having the tools in place in your own life and in your own self to deal with the unexpected, to deal with those challenges as they pop up. And there are challenges that popped up out of nowhere, really. Not Obviously not things you thought of, but those are things I know about Arizona. What were the top things that were important for you to legislate on? Was it those things, or were there other things that were really important for you as top priorities that you were able to work on and potentially influence legislation? So when I, for my first campaign, which was 2017, so this is my third campaign cycle, mm -hmm. For that campaign, it was certainly all about kids. I shouldn't say all about, but mostly about kids. I'm also a former foster mother. Um, you know, since then, obviously, my perspective and my passions have broadened quite a bit. Uh, you know, right now, the thing that bothers me probably the most, if not the most right up there, is all the attacks on voting rights that we have seen here mm -hmm. in Arizona. Um so, yeah, I mean, those, you know, the the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade is rather concerning. So uh, I'm not sure that answers your question, but. No, it, it's important. And, and it's really concerning to me. I mean, I'm a, you're a parent, I'm a parent, but my perspective on overturning Roe v. Wade is obviously different than yours. And I think when you go online or you hear people talk about it, it can be so simplistic but what do you think are the what's going to happen in Arizona? Uh, what will be the impact of that uh, to your constituents, uh, not just women, but families in general? Well, I think it, I think across the country and states that have trigger laws like Arizona does, I think it's going to have a devastating effect on um, people's health care and the in, the economy. Even uh, you know in our state in Arizona, what that will look like, uh, we aren't entirely sure because this is new territory, right? Does it go back to 
the original trigger law, which is a ban on all abortions and a two-year prison sentence for uh, women who seek abortion and anybody who helps them. Wow. Or is it going to go to the 15-week abortion ban that our governor just signed maybe six-ish weeks ago? Uh, so we, we, don't, we don't know exactly which of those will happen. Either way, though, uh, if and when Roe v. Wade gets overturned, uh, abortion in Arizona will be significantly more restrictive than it right now is. I mean, the idea of it scares me, you know, as a, I have seen, I've witnessed my wife give birth twice and knowing the challenges that she had, and she had a very easy, not easy, but but in terms of other complications that she could have, it was the first birth was hours long of labor, you know, and I don't want to minimize that at all, but, um, you know, we had healthcare, we had jobs, everything that she could do to have a healthy baby for, for us. What kind of impact will that have on women if it goes back to that trigger law of if they just seek an abortion, they could have years in prison? Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, this is going to have a significant effect on women and on families, on families in general. Uh, they're going to, you know, and it's going to disproportionately affect our more impoverished citizens here in Arizona because they are not going to have the necessarily the means to get across a state line to, um, you know, to get an abortion. Uh, you know, I... I don't, I don't think we know exactly yet what all the implications are going to be. And I wish I'd have paid more attention to it, but I um, read an article yesterday about the effect that this is going to have on the Arizona economy. Um, and it's not going to be good. And, you know, I mean, I don't know to me at the bottom, bottom of all of this, and I'm going to be vague on purpose for privacy issues and not necessarily wanting to go into too many questions about this, but as a foster mom, I came into contact with a young lady who had gotten pregnant at 11. And when you're having babies, having babies, I think, I think we're in a, I think we're in a bad place mm. in society where, you know, people forget about the vulnerable people who are, you know, due to incest or rape or whatever um, I, you know, I believe women should have the right to control, you know, have the right to make their own family planning choices and the right to control what happens with their own bodies. But at the bottom of all of that is the heartbreaking tragedy that is so many um, people's stories, mm -hmm. you know, about this and about what might lead to abortion. Um, you know, and I, I honestly, um, that that experience of coming into contact with a young lady like that. And that's of course why she ended up in the foster care system. Uh, really, really upset me and moved me on just such a deep level. And I've never, like, I've never gotten, I've never gotten it out of my mind. Yeah. I don't even, I mean, honestly, I'm tearing up a little bit because my son's eight, we have boys, so we don't have the same issues, but you know, they have friends whose older sibling is 11. You know, they're, that's not, you know, an 11 year old looks significantly different than an eight year old, but not adult. Like it's, 
those are people they can see in middle school. I mean, in grade school, even depending on level, it's just, I mean, I see my kid comes home and he's a kid and I see the friends that they have, they're kids. They're not, I remember being 12 and I was playing with action figures, you know, like that was, that was life. Um, you know, what I've seen from states like Oklahoma and Louisiana and a few other states where it seems like there is a rush from the conservative members to um, outflank each other, to prove that they are the true believers in some of the stuff, like in Louisiana, a clear lack of understanding of the science of any of this, and not just on this issue, but on other things. That concerns me. Is that a concern that you've seen firsthand about, like, we're going to try and I'm going to be the most extreme member possible so I can get the national exposure and prove that I am the true believer. Damn the consequences. Yeah. Yes. I think Arizona in a lot of issues is got to be ground zero or close to it. Uh, you know, we saw that um, certainly with some of the election laws, um, some of the attacks on, women's healthcare choices, the attacks on schools, even, um, public education just has gotten hammered the last two sessions. Uh, and I, I do think that that's part of it. They're outflanking each other. And I do think you've nailed it trying to get that broader, whether it's statewide or national attention. Um, and it's really unfortunate. There have been too many bills. Well, I learned my lesson, my first session, last session, there were bills where I wasn't very concerned because I was like thinking there's just no way this is going to make it through the process, right? There's just no way. And then, you know, it did. <laughs> so uh, I think we've got to be really concerned, at least in Arizona, about all of that outflanking going on because some of those bills are actually making it through. Yeah. Is it, I, I hear like people talk about this, not just with, um, the potential with Roe, but other things, it's like the dog chasing the car and they finally catch it and they don't know what to do with it. Is that, is that, um, metaphor work for you? Like, you know, they always talked about doing all these very outlandish things, never thinking they would do it, never thinking they'd have enough people to support it. And now they have people who are willing to overturn elections, willing to undo rights. And well, now we got to do what we said. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think we've seen the dog actually catching the car come to quite full fruition. But yeah, I do think that metaphor works very, very well. And I do think it's going to be interesting and or tragic to see how that unfolds and what that looks like. Now, you mentioned earlier um, that you had to be talked to like eight times before you would say yes to running for office, and you knew things about it beforehand. You had been on campaign, so you were not a complete novice to it like some people are. But now you've been in the thick of it, you've seen it, and you're still running. Why is it important for you to keep up the fight and keep going um, in, in Arizona when you've seen what's going on? Uh, honestly, for me, it's about uh, flipping purple seats, mm -hmm. flipping, flipping seats into Democratic hands. Uh, with redistricting, I, I was already in one of the mo you know the most highly competitive legislative district in the state of Arizona. After redistricting, I still am. There are only five competitive districts, and I'm one of them. Uh, and that's why I'm running. If I had gotten uh, redistricted into like a deep blue district, I do not think I would have run hmm. because I don't feel 
um, I don't know, other people can do that job, right? But flipping a seat, um, you know, I would think I would have run even if I had gotten zoned into a deep red district too, mm -hmm. to like raise the dialogue. And uh, so for me, the bottom line of everything is getting some balance down at our state capital. It always has been getting balance down at our capital. Um, and that's why I'm running. We need my seat um, as an incumbent. And, you know, you know, the, the whole reason that I was approached so many times um, in 2017, early 2017 was because I was coming off of being the 2016 Arizona teacher of the year. It's not like I was famous or anything, but I certainly had more name recognition than, you know, the average person walking down the street. Um, and for me, that's what it's all about. We have got to get some balance down at the Capitol. Arizona has been in one party control for decades for far too long. And we need to change that. You know, that does bring up that when I talked to my senator, Senator Casey, when he ran it and um, not when he ran it in uh, early 2000, before things got crazier, like we uh, talked to him and then two weeks later, things got nuts. Um, but he, I asked him, you know, he was a very famous name. So obviously he's, his story is different, but he was considered the most electable person in 2016, by a wide margin for that Senate seat. So I said, Do, is there a responsibility if you are potentially the best person to run for that seat, whether it's Senate, state Senate, mayor, whatever, do you find that people should consider the responsibility to run um, when that opportunity arises and they need to, like you said, flip those seats? Oh, uh, 100%. Like I said, this is my third campaign. I lost my first one narrowly by mm -hmm. 267 votes. And after that, I didn't think I was going to run again, um, but I was making sure. And so I was checking around, bringing up various names to, you know, the more political insiders here in Arizona, like would so-and-so have a better chance? Because I, it was my conviction that whoever has the best chance needs to run. Mm -hmm. And for every person that I brought up, they'd be like, uh, no, Christine, you've got a better chance than so-and-so. Um, and that's why I ran then my second campaign um, and won it. And then I didn't need to ask for my third campaign. I knew as an incumbent, um, I mean, I already knew without asking around, like, who's got the best chance? Um, so, yeah, I do think there's a responsibility that people who potentially could do this, that they actually do it. Yeah. So that's why they have a responsibility, because they're the best person possibly. But people don't know they're the best person. They don't, you know, I, I you had to be talked to and explained to that, maybe um, convinced of it. Um it's 2022. There still might be some time for people to run for state office, like state legislature across the country, um, or they may be looking at 2023 and beyond, whether it's like city council or school board. Why do you think it's important that people um, right now make the decision that they should become candidates to run for office? Well, I think that the, why is it important? I mean, I think and you're talking like people with an uh, with the chance, right? Yeah, people just generally, like what would you what would be your reason? Like if if someone's sitting there thinking, you know, things are my city councilman, my mayor, my state rep is not doing a great enough job. It's so frustrating. What would be your words of encouragement that they should consider running for office? 
they should go checking around asking people who have a broader perspective um, if they've got the chance to do this and if they are inadvertently taking away somebody else's, right? Like in a competitive race, having a primary is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't end up with anybody running uh, in the primary against me here in Arizona for any of my races. Um, but people need to consider that. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's great to run for something, but you do want to make sure that you're not unintentionally actually harming things. Mm -hmm. So once the person has figured that out, um, then um, I, I think they need to start, like I did, just start researching and getting advice, talking to people who have done this and know more and see if it's a good fit and go for it. I mean, we need good people to run. We absolutely need people who can get in to especially these competitive districts and whatever level that is, whether that's legislative or city council, like whatever that is, to get in there and, you know, be willing to do the hard work and make the sacrifices and, and get it done. Well, I, but I think would be to get, get, make sure you've got as much knowledge as possible to make a good decision. Well, I appreciate that you've put in the good work and that you are obviously working hard because you're running every day more than I am because I am not a runner. <laughs> but yeah. I do the elliptical machine, so I am going to go to the gym today. But um, with all that said, people need to learn from people. How can they – where would you um, tell people to go to follow you on social media and learn more and maybe uh, get a good idea of what it's like for you in Arizona? Where should they learn more? Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is um, Christine P. Marsh, as is Facebook, actually, as is Instagram. Yep. Um, I don't know if you want more than that, but... No, that's fine. That's how I caught in touch with you. I appreciate it. Uh, so if anyone's listening, please follow uh, Senator Marsh. I don't think you'll be disappointed. You might be inspired. I'm sure you'll be motivated because I know I was as motivated by you running for office as now recognizing I need to get to the gym because I get tired <laughs> a lot. That's, that's another issue altogether. Um Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, and I wish you the best of luck. Before I – last thing, um, it's 2022. You still have things you'll be doing this year. What are you most looking forward to doing um, this year for your district and your state? I would like to uh, win again and continue the fight against um, fentanyl overdoses. Uh, I passed a bill last legislative cycle only there were only five or six no five senate democratic bills that made it to the governor's office to the governor's desk out of like 300 and mine was one of them to legalize um fentanyl testing strips and uh i would if we're in the majority then i've got much bigger plans you know to mm -hmm. reduce class size and so on if i'm in the minority again i still would very much like to uh, further the whole concept of harm reduction and, you know, hopefully save some lives because we are losing um, so many people to fentanyl overdoses, including my own son two years ago. So, yeah, so I'm very motivated to get in and, and there's not going to be a silver bullet to this issue, but to get in and um, try to, create as much policy as possible to save as many lives as possible. Yeah. Everything you can do on those helps. I really recommend if people are listening to watch, I know it's not fentanyl, but to watch the show dope sick on Hulu about Oxycontin. I'm sure you're, you're nodding. So I assume you've seen that. 
I haven't seen it yet because I don't have Hulu right now. Um, but it's I'm nodding because my cousin just contacted me this week saying you've got to watch this show on Hulu. It, so. it, it, yeah, if you can't, it is one of the best shows I've seen. It's like I cried multiple times. Um, and I had I knew someone that passed away for my family from overdose of Oxycontin. And it's so easy, and the, the show angered me greatly, so that I had to go watch something else to calm down. But I yeah. highly recommend the people watch that. Um, please pay attention to issues like what Senator Marsh has said about fentanyl. And if you're listening, maybe you should run for office too. Thank you so much, Senator Marsh. I really appreciate it, and best of luck in Arizona. Thank you very much. It was an honor to be here.